I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Walking through RHS Garden Wisley, you might be noticing the rose garden, the mixed borders, glass houses, but perhaps not the trees, which are often, in many cases, quite significantly far above your head. So today we're going to have a bit of a focus around some of our glorious tree collections. And I'm currently standing on Battleston Hill under our champion Cicidophyllum japonicum. It's an absolutely standout champion tree. One of the things that it's known for is the very, very delicious scent of its autumn colour. And it almost smells like candy floss or burnt sugar. And the leaves go a lovely butter yellow. And the stem is tremendous. This tree is known as a champion tree. It's the largest of its type in the British Isles. And there's two types of ratings for champion tree. It can be the tallest or it can have the largest girth. And at Wisley, I'm proud to say we now have over a hundred of these champions. I'm Matthew Pottage, and as curator at Wisley, I wanted to present today's Gardening with the RHS to celebrate some standout trees. On the show, I'm exploring why Wisley's arboreal offering is so significant, discussing how even conifers can be a great addition to the autumn garden, I know, shock horror, I'm talking conifers, and then learning how to protect our nation's sweet chestnut and delving into the fascinating folklore surrounding some of our most loved trees with author Dr Amy Jane Beer. But starting with Wisley's champion trees. So the tree register, who spent nearly two years now surveying the whole site, all the garden, have a database of over 200,000 of Britain and Ireland's most notable trees. This summer, I spoke to their honorary director, David Alderman, to celebrate the news and hear why the register is so significant. Well, the tree register started in 1988 by the, uh, the late, great Alan Mitchell, and Victoria Hallett, now late Victoria Schilling. He was recording trees for the Forestry Commission as part of looking for good seed trees, particularly for conifers. And so traveling around most of Britain, uh, looking for the finest specimens that they could for forest research. And at that time, he started recording other trees as well and finding some exceptional specimens. And really, he began the first register, proper register, of the greatest, tallest, the largest, the widest trees throughout uh, the British Isles. And from that, when he retired, they created a charity called the Tree Register of the British Isles, which is now shortened to the Tree Register. 
and we hold the definitive list of the biggest and the tallest trees of all species that are hardy in the British Isles today. Amazing. It's a great list. It's something that I know I can easily get sucked into and spend hours looking at online because it is so fascinating for any tree lover. And tell me a bit about your role with the organisation. Um, well, I'm, I've been given the, uh, the role of the honorary director. We're all volunteers the Tree Register, which is a great thing about it because everyone who volunteers does it for different reasons. Some people just love going to collections such as Wisley and seeing these trees. For me, I still get a buzz from going around and finding and discovering a tree that has either grown to become a champion or a tree which we didn't really know existed before as a champion tree. And, uh, yeah, it's that which I've been doing now for sort of 30 years, and we still have trees that we're discovering, which is the exciting thing about it. Even in a country like this, where you think every tree is known to everybody, we're still finding trees which... uh, Even in a garden like this, you yourself may suddenly find has become a champion, has grown uh, while you haven't been looking at it. So that's that's just fantastic. (laughs) And speaking of that, so kind of almost while your back is 10, when were the trees here last looked at in detail? Obviously, we're now spending some emphasis on looking at our trees again. But when do you think Wisley was last looked at under the spotlight? Well, the last detailed survey was about 10 years ago. Thanks to Dan and other members of the staff, the last couple of years we've really started to update that, but not just the trees which were recorded then, but there's been so many other trees which have been growing well and have now become sort of nationally important because it's so interesting seeing how some perhaps more unusual trees are growing on this site compared to other sites, not just botanic gardens, but other big sort of gardens where these trees have been planted. And... It's seeing how these trees are coping on these different sites and different conditions is giving us an idea of how good these trees might be in planting you know, in the future with climate change and everything else. So there's a citizen science part of this as well. It's not just going around and finding fantastic trees, but it's looking at the growth rates and how trees are performing on different sites. Here at Wisley, which might not be considered to be the best site for growing every species of tree, it's really interesting to see such fantastic growth still, considering Mm. the the weather we've had over the last few years. Some trees are absolutely loving it. Yeah, of course. And it is interesting because we've had very hot, very dry summers in the southeast. And on the bagshot sand of Wisley, which is very free-draining, doesn't hold moisture or nutrient particularly well, it's obviously very good for some and less so for others. People are probably thinking at home, David, how on earth do you measure these trees? How do you go around and take these measurements? So you're looking at the actual tree trunk or the stem or the bowl and the height of the tree. So how are you actually taking these measurements? Well, to record the circumference or the girth of a trunk is quite simple. We just use a a standard metric tape measure. But of course, not all trees have a nice, straight, easy trunk to measure. So there are guidelines as to what you do when you come across multi-stem trees and trees which have bumps and burrs and trees which have low branches and so we have to sort of follow those guidelines and compare trees like for like so there can be different categories within a species where for example cedar of lebanon is perhaps often a multi-stem bush of a tree uh, and so they are all comparable with others of that type but also you find some which have been pruned up into a single stem or have grown as a a single maiden tree with one fine stem and although they're never going to be as big as those big impressive multi-stem bushes we do have a champion for the one with the cleanest single bowl as well so there are a couple of categories of champion tree depending on the way the tree has grown and the form of that tree but we always measure at the same height where we can which is a standard 1.5 meters above ground level Yeah, and then for height, well, these days, most of our keenest measures now 
now have one of the new laser measurers. It's so much easier to record the height using a laser than when we were using it using uh, forestry clinometers, having to measure from the base of the tree out to get our baseline to get the height. And even then, the standard equipment presumes that a tree is growing vertically or the tip of the tree is growing vertically above where you've measured the baseline from. And almost always we found that the tallest trees were, had quite a lean on them, so much so that it was very easy to get an exaggerated height with a clinometer. But everyone in Europe now who records tall trees are using the same instrument that we are. So we can now compare our tall trees with the European lists as well. That's, that's helpful. And, and you're it, working with the same equipment. It yeah. is, it is. So we know that's what we're doing. And it's great to know that some of our trees are not just British champions, but they're European champions as well. So, David, tell me, off the top of your head, favourite champion at Wisley for you? What's the tree that, that speaks to you most from our collection? Well, that changes by the season, I have to say. When you come to Wisley in the spring, you can be easily swayed by one of the champion magnolias uh, in flower. Likewise, in autumn, some fantastic champion cherry you have here. But I think overall, the one tree that's impressed me more than any other is the Katsura, the Circidifilum japonicum. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or uh, Hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's, to see a tree that, of that species with such a fine single stem, when so many you come across are multi-stems and or just not as big, it was a real eye-opener when I first saw that. You know, it, it's a super specimen. It's been in Britain since about 1881, so it's been here long enough for them to be bigger than that in other collections. So... When you know that all these big collections and gardens we have recorded, big Katsura, they've all been multi-stems. There's not one that we've come across quite to match this one at Wisley. So for me, that just stood out as being an exceptional specimen. David Alderman. So what I love about champion trees is, you know, they tend to all have their own story. Where are they from? What are they about? How did they come to be here? And then also... Why are they growing so well, you know, to be the biggest of their type in the country? They're obviously very suited to that location and those conditions. And, you know, who planted them? What part of the story, in this case at Wisley, do they play? It's a great privilege to be able to look after a collection that contains so many champion trees. So these trees are so precious to us. And because there's quite a few of them, they have their very own champion tree guardian. And that's Dan Kitching. And he is one of our arborists from the arboricultural team whose primary role here is to care for the overall trees. But Dan has that special focus on the champions. I feel very privileged to be an arborist here at Wisley. I love coming in every day, seeing the collection and knowing we've got over 100 British and Irish champion trees here in the garden now is fantastic. It's a, yeah, a real sense of fulfilment knowing we've got them and being able to look after them for future generations and other people when they come and visit. And then tell me, it's probably a difficult question, favourite or one that you have a soft spot for? Again, like David said, so many, it does depend a bit on the season. One of my favourite trees probably is the coulter pine we have near our new hilltop building. Um, This is a pine which has the heaviest pine cones of all the pines at nearly five kilos. And this particular tree was raised from seed here at Wisley in 1953. 
Nice, and it is a stonking tree. It's massive, yeah. I mean, it's girth nearly four meters, so it's a really impressive tree. Just be very careful walking underneath it. I know, because it's one of the common names the widow make. <laughs> I think so, yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm not sure you would last to tell a story about the cone <laughs> falling on your head. And of course, at Wisley, we've got some of our own Wisley named cultivar trees, which won't be in other collections or they originated here, and they have become champions as well. So, any of those spring to mind as favourites? Yeah, I think the uh, liquid amber styressa fluor Wisley King, which is on seven acres, is a, a particular favourite in the autumn. It's quite a phenomenal tree for colour. It's a large tree, fully foliated everywhere, and it's just a big bush of colour in the, in the autumn. Dan Kitching. So when we're talking about trees in the autumn, I think the number one thing to keep in mind is now is the perfect time to be planting trees. And that's because we've got moisture in the soil. The ground is still warm, so it's really good for root growth and establishment. You know, the cold weather hasn't really started at all. And especially this year, we've had such a warm September. And really, if you plant trees in the spring, they're heading straight into the summer, which can be dry. Planting in summer isn't always particularly good. So if you're thinking about planting a tree, you know, it's one of the best things you can do for the planet and for your garden. So get it in there throughout October, really. I always think October is a brilliant planting month and it will get that tree off to a good start and you'll get some early root growth in that warmer soil. So if you're looking to bring some colour into your garden this autumn, you might be surprised to know that conifers can also be something to think of. We all seem to talk about acers and nissers and liquid ambers, but there are some really great deciduous conifers. I've actually written an article for The Garden magazine, so look out for that and see hopefully some selections you've never come across before. And really what I wanted to be able to share in that is they're not just all big forest trees so people might be thinking yes I know about larch I know about uh, metasequoia and they are ultimately they're quite big trees but there are varieties there's cultivars of them that stay at a much more manageable size they're suitable for container growing actually if they're kept well fed and water so I wanted to highlight some of these unsung heroes because they can be very much part of the autumn garden display so keep an eye out for that and then I think my one Deciduous conifer to go and look out for this autumn if you're visiting tree collections or gardens is the Pseudolarix, which has a lovely buttery golden needle. It's not the most common of deciduous conifers, so setting you a little bit of a task there, but it's absolutely beautiful when you come across it just in its prime moment. But if you're looking to branch out from conifers, and I can't imagine why, but pretend you are for a moment, I know someone who can help. Author Amy Jane Beer has written a book called A Tree a Day that explores botany, poetry, folklore and history through a whole host of trees from ginkgos to burnham oaks. What is it about trees that fascinates me? It's hard to know where to start. They are part of our world and we have so much in common with them that we might not normally think about. They're they're actually quite a lot like us. They run on the same fuel as we do and and they compete and strive for resources as we do. And and what's only recently becoming understood is that they grow best in communities as we do and they share resources, they communicate. I'll give you an English example and an overseas example of trees that have really captured my imagination. Isaac Newton's apple tree, which still grows in the the grounds of his former home at at Woolsthorpe. Remarkably, it's, it's 400 years old, which is a really good age for an apple tree. The story about him sort of coming to the idea of gravity is 
possibly apocryphal, although he did reference it himself in his in his lifetime. So possibly he was just sort of bigging up his own myth, if you like. But yes, that tree still stands and its cuttings from it have been grown on and sent to universities and libraries around the world. That ability of trees to connect us through time is, is something that's really important. I, I feel they very much live in four dimensions. They're not just big organisms in space, but also they have these amazing long lives. And another tree that for me seems very poignant, it has a reputation of being the world's loneliest tree. It grows on a, a sub-Antarctic island. It's a Sitka spruce, so it doesn't really belong there. It was part of a ill-advised plantation project in the early 20th century. A whole plantation of these trees was, was established on um, an island called Campbell Island, um, It's about 600 kilometres south of New Zealand. And this is the only one that survived. So not only is it the world's most remote tree, it's also known as the Anthropocene tree because it's a marker of this new geological era that we're living in where humanity is the predominant geological force, if you like. So when, when future geologists look back, they'll see the dominant feature of the, that stratigraphy is human made. And this tree has been designated as a sort of marker of the point at which humanity became this dominant force because in its tree rings... In its growth rings for 1965, there is a huge spike in radioactive carbon isotopes because of the nuclear bomb testing that was going on in the South Pacific at the time. So in so many ways, the loneliness of this tree and the, the fact that it's there in the first place as a, an alien and the fact that it's this marker of the Anthropocene, I mean, there's a lot going on in that trunk. So laurels was a tree I needed to include in the book, partly because of that association with long history and they appear in classical mythology. They have this connection with sort of achievement through classical mythology. You know, you were given laurels as a, an, an award, as a, as a prize, as a mark of your excellence. And we still have that, you know, the, the baccalaureate qualification, for example, is named for the laurels. But they also have a, a lot of mythology associated with them. So the Daphne, the Spurge laurel, it was a nymph in classical mythology. I'm a completely unashamed tree hugger. And it's something I recommend doing. You, if you get up close to a tree, close enough to whisper hello to it, you can just whisper in your head. They won't mind. Trees don't mind <laughs> if you don't speak out loud to them. But just greet it as another life and get close enough to feel the texture of its bark, to, to smell it, and maybe go back again through the courses of a season and get to know it in all its all its seasons, all its moods, all weathers. And you will notice so much more. You'll notice the other lives that are going on around it. You'll notice the gradual change. And if you have the opportunity to go into a forest where you're surrounded by these beings, you know, there's very firm scientific evidence now that this is actually physically good for us. Just go out there and get a dose of these phytoncides, these amazing volatile chemicals that all green plants are producing. And they are known to reduce stress hormones, to reduce blood pressure. Just having a view of trees improves the speed at which people recover after surgery. Mind-blowing. There is nothing not to like about getting involved with trees. Dr Amy Jane Beer. In Wisley and across the UK, one particular tree needs our help. And I'm now standing at the bottom of Battleston Hill and I'm joined by Jassy Draculich, an RHS plant pathologist. Hey Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. It's a beautiful day. 
isn't it just? And so much bird song around us. Yeah, it's wonderful. Very it's calming. Very, very calming. Now, can you tell us, Jassy, what we're here to talk about today? We're here to talk about sweet chestnut trees, um, Castanea sativa, because we're conducting a citizen science campaign and it's really important that we, you help us with this campaign and check up on sweet chestnut trees. And what is it we're looking for? What's the concern here? Well, there's an invasive wasp, a gall wasp, that first reached the UK in 2015 called the Oriental Chestnut Gall Wasp. And what this wasp does is it causes swellings on the leaves and the buds and while if a tree isn't hugely infested, it won't have a massive impact on that tree's health, with bigger infections, it can lead to a decline in the tree's health. And even worse, that tree can be vulnerable to attack by other diseases such as sweet chestnut blight, which is a pathogen that completely eradicated sweet chestnuts in the USA in the middle of the 20th century. Wow, so potentially quite concerning. And is that blight already in the UK? There's been outbreaks that have been controlled. It's not okay. widespread, it's not spreading. Um, but we don't know where even all the sweet chestnuts in the UK are. So we're not just looking for the wasp, we're also looking for sweet chestnut trees. And we want to know yeah, where they are and what condition they're in so that we can safeguard these trees for the future against the wasp and hopefully control that wasp with potentially biocontrols that are being tested at the moment. But also, if there are outbreaks of the sweet chestnut blight, we know where it's going to be a priority to try and take action to protect against widespread outbreaks. Sure. Okay. And where's the wasp currently known to be? Is it in the southeast or...? It was first found in Kent and okay. it's known to be around London. Um, so far on the project, we've found it as far north as Norfolk and South Cambridgeshire but we haven't found it anywhere else. But it's really important that people look out for it, especially as it hasn't been searched for on a widespread scale. Okay. Now, I, I grew up on the Yorkshire coast and I didn't know what a sweet chestnut really looked like till I came to the southeast. And then you see them, you know, all by the roadsides down in Surrey. We're blessed with these really gorgeous old ones on Battleston Hill. And we're standing by, by one here with this lovely characterful. It looks like someone's got the, the tree and twisted it because all the bark twists and spirals which is a really, it's actually quite an iconic thing you see on sweet chestnuts, but you tend only to see this on older trees, don't you? Yes, if they're younger than around 60 years, you wouldn't see that, and it's got a much smooth bark um, as a younger tree. Mm. But the leaves themselves are still really beautiful and distinctive. They're long and like oval-shaped with quite sort of distinct spikes all along the edges, spaced about one centimetre apart. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to looking at other features, they have very distinctive flowers, um, which look like sort of a pipe cleaner of little inflorescences all along the length. They're sort of pale, creamy colour. Yeah. And then they produce these sort of spiky tennis ball-like nuts in the autumn time, and we're getting around to nut season right now. And of course, you can eat these, can't you? These are the edible nuts that you yeah. roast at Christmas time. So yeah, yeah. really nice, really tasty. Um, and the trees, yeah, we, they do grow more commonly in the south, but they are a popular landscape tree that does occur all across the UK. Yeah, yeah. So Jassy, I've never seen these galls. I'm interested to know more. Is there a tree nearby we can go and have a closer look at? Yes, there's actually a few just by the car park. So follow me, I'll show you oh, the way. Oh, okay. Let's go and have a look. So there's a tree, I think it's, yeah, this little path here. There's one here. If we get a bit closer, just go through this bush. Is that okay? Sorry about the bush. <laughs> I thought there was a clearer way in from one direction. Here we go. Right, so we've waded into this rather enormous castania, sweet chestnut tree. 
So, what are we looking at? Tell me, if I've ventured up to this, I want to take part in the survey. This all looks quite healthy to me, so, so what are your top tips? So you're looking out for leaves that look a bit twisted and warped, and then you're looking more closely at where those twists happen and see whether there's a swelling nearby. Okay. So this one up here, this one up here has like a swelling right on the midrib. Oh yeah. Yeah, and all the leaf around it is kind of bunched and frilled up nearby. So that's quite an obvious lump on that midrib. Yeah, it's a proper little, proper yeah, little like, kind look. Of, yeah. And everything lump. beyond it is twisted and bent back on itself, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And so this one has still got the wasp larva developing inside. Once it escapes, it will escape through a little exit hole and then the gall will turn brown and it will stay on the leaf. So this one here has got an old gall that has had the wasps escape earlier in the year. I see. So that's almost the same thing, but with dead plant tissue. The, the ring, the, that kind of bend back uh, symptom on the leaf is still very much there. And there's a dead exit hole, like you mentioned. Exactly. Well, that's great. I feel like I've learned something there because that wouldn't have been obvious to me initially. So to give listeners at home the best chance to get this, the thing I'm taking away here is if the leaf is not completely flat and normal and there's a twist, there's a bend, there's a bulge, chances are it's worth a closer look. Definitely. And I'd say if you have a tree that has lower hanging branches, you'll be able to get up and look more closely at that. OK, so how can people get involved? Is there a link on our website? Yeah, if you go to the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash Checkersweet Chestnut. That's our <laughs> website page. Yeah. Um, and we also have a Twitter account at Check Chestnut. And on the website, it gives you all the instructions about how to get involved. It basically involves registering with us because we are a citizen science project. We want to know uh, not just where these trees are, but who is taking part in the project and evaluating what people are getting out of that experience, which is one of the principles of citizen science, is that it's a two-way conversation between the public and the scientists. And then the way to register the trees is using existing online reporting tools. So even after we stop looking at this as an issue, learning about using Tree Alert, which is the Forestry Commission's reporting platform to report notifiable pests and diseases, as well as Treezilla, which is an app which is about making the monster map of trees in the UK. So they're trying to map every single tree. And every tree you map, it tells you what the ecosystem services is in financial value. So it's a really nice instant feedback that you get. Wow. There's some really great stuff to look up there. Thank you, Jassig. So good luck with the study and the survey. We need all our listeners to get involved with that. And then we look forward to checking in with you later to see how you're getting on. Thank you, Matt. Yes, please do participate and have a look at our website. So for more on anything you've heard, champion trees, checking out your sweet chestnut trees or Dr. Amy Jane's book, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast or check out our show notes. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Matthew Pottage, and I've had a lovely time standing under the Sicidib Island here on Battleston Hill. It's still quite green, but come back in the next couple of weeks and look out for that magical autumn colour, which you'll be able to smell before you see. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress Robotic Lawn Mower, the lawn is actually looking better. 
The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the Rhydon. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 